John chapter 21 and verse, starting from verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and he cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, an hundred fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. And he saith unto him the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whether thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren, that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, he shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? 
This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Well, I really think we've had a most blessed weekend. I genuinely feel like I, if I could have my choice, I'd rather sit down and listen to Hugh Martin's morning message again. It was such a blessing. But we've had a great time, haven't we? And I've got, uh, as a sort of icing on the cake for me, two of my grandsons and their grandma, oh, two grandmas of theirs, and another couple of ladies whom I don't know, but they're very glamorous and young. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, so uh, do talk to them afterwards uh, so I'll have to be on my best behaviour for once in my life um, and I, we haven't th- we thanked most people but um, thanks so much to Tim for all that he does we really appreciate that and thanks too for the musicians I think we should just show a round of give a round of applause for them. thank you very much I, I read a biography earlier this year about, uh, and it's in my prayer letter, some of you have seen it already, about a Yorkshire evangelist who died around about 1970. His name was Herbert Silverwood. He was a real, real broad Yorkshireman who did a lot of his work in the Yorkshire Dales. He was from Barnsley. On one occasion, he was going to preach the gospel at an evangelistic mission, and they had a hymn just before he was going to speak, but the hymn was really struggling. So he turned to the pianist and he, he said, Brother, the, this, this hymn's not going very well. Could we have a more modern tune, please? To which the pianist turned and said, Nay, lad, you can't get more modern than this. I'm making it up as I go along. <laughs> so many thanks to you guys. Though there was one occasion where I thought, anyway, we'll leave that. And, uh, thank you very much. We've been looking at the life of, of Peter. And actually, this isn't, quite the end. I know it seems as though it's the end because um, it's the end of John's Gospel and we had Acts chapter 2. Of course, Peter was to make another big blunder later on in the book of Acts, but we haven't had enough sessions this weekend to, to cope with that really. But we're going to look at, at John's Gospel chapter 2. Many of you will remember, those of you who've been around a long time anyway, there was a pastor in, in uh, Clan Dudno by the name of Horace Jones who once said to me, he said, um, Roger, I've never been a disappointment to God. And I remember just looking at him and saying, I beg your pardon, you've never been a disappointment. He said, no, no, I've never been a disappointment to God. He took me on as a poor, wretched, miserable sinner, and I've never been a disappointment to him. And I found tremendous encouragement in that because as Christians, we do blunder, don't we? We make mistakes. We fall into sin and uh, we mess up. We're all like that. What do you do when you mess up? Well, we're going to learn from John chapter 21. The answer is, you go back to basics. You go back to the beginning. Just over a century ago in um, Scotland was a very great Christian preacher by the name of Alexander White. You can get a thick tome of all his Bible personalities that he wrote about. It's a great book. He was the son of a prostitute. He never knew who his father was, and it was a very difficult sort of background, but he became one of the great preachers of that turn of the century era. He said, the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. The Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Now, as Christians, we are not to expect sin, and we're not to excite 
sin and we're not to excuse sin. But nevertheless, we reflect on who we are and what we're like and we recognize that we constantly need to, as it were, lean on the Lord Jesus Christ and we need to learn to go back to basics. So, the Lord Jesus has lived, he has died. Remember, when he died, it wasn't so much the Romans killing him. They did kill him in the sense that they were guilty of having a guilty mind and a guilty action. But it was Jesus who dismissed his spirit. Remember, he's the one who said, no one can take my life from me. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. And when he was on the cross, the sin of the world was laid on him. And he paid for our sin. Then he cried out, it is finished. And then, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He dismissed his spirit. So he'd lived, he'd died, he'd paid for our sin, he was buried. He rose again from the dead. And Jesus now making his third appearance to the assembled group of disciples. The first time, if you remember, he appeared to them on the evening of the resurrection. The second time he appeared to them when Thomas wasn't there. And now this is the third appearance. And it's the longest account of this third appearance of the Lord Jesus to the disciples. I want you to try and picture the scene, and I hope I'm not reading too much into it. The, The Sea of Galilee... These disciples have gathered there and it's sort of at the stage when the sun is just beginning to set. And there would be a beauty about it. You can imagine the sort of purple hills and who knows, calm waters, etc. There'd be boats tied up, these little fishing boats, and they'd all have their nets there perhaps drying or ready to be mended, etc. And then the sort of old instinct of these fishermen began to arouse in them and... um, There were seven of them all together. Five of them were named. Two of them, we don't have their names. Thomas was there. He'd learned his lesson to stick with the disciples when the going gets tough. And I imagine they're just standing around, idling, maybe skimming stones. I don't know whether you ever skim stones, but I enjoy doing it and try to beat my record of eight skims. You know, maybe they were skimming stones. Maybe they were just chattering and musing, etc. And then Peter expressed his thoughts out loud. And maybe these were the thoughts that they were all having. He just said, I'm going fishing. And you can sort of imagine the others say, do you know, uh, there's no harm in it. Why don't we just go fishing? Actually, Jesus had called them to leave their nets and they were to be fishers of men. But nevertheless, he's not there. Why not go fishing? And you can imagine them getting into the boat and there's great enthusiasm and they start their fishing. But very, very quickly, their ardour, their enthusiasm is going to be checked, isn't it? Because... The minutes passed and then eventually the hours and no no doubt you could see around the Sea of Galilee the lights in the houses, yes, to begin with, but now they're all being closed down, shut down, the hamlets and the villages. Everyone's just going to sleep now and they're there. And And you could almost feel the chill of the encroaching night coming upon them and um, they're fishing and they're not getting anything. And it's really disheartening and Well, they've been there for hours. Now morning's beginning to break and they've still not caught anything. They've tried every device. They were experienced fishermen to try and catch fish and they've wasted their bait if they use bait and they've certainly expended all their strength and energy and time and they've got nothing. And I imagine they felt deeply frustrated. 
where, where's Jesus? We've no fish. We, you know, we're supposed to be fishermen. We've not caught anything. And uh, maybe we shouldn't have come into this boat anyway. And on the shore, this shadowy figure to begin with is Jesus. And he took the initiative. He always takes the initiative. He's prepared a meal. And, and he calls out to them. Which when you stop and think about it for a moment, it's lovely. This is the carpenter telling fishermen how to fish. But he shouts out to them. And um, we know what happens. He tells them to cast their net on the other side. But, but he's making this meal. In, in fact, he's going to be the host of this meal that they're going to have. Not only the host, he's going to be the chef and the waiter and their friend and their teacher. Jesus directed their work. Now, now they had their skills. But nevertheless, he directed the work to use their skills to catch this great shoal of fish. 153 of them. I wonder why that's named and mentioned. I once heard Ian Paisley say that if you go through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus dealt with 153 people. Well, I've never checked him out on that, but maybe that's a possibility. I don't know why it's there, but it says 153 fish were caught. And then they realize this is Jesus. What a moment. And Peter, always the impetuous one, of course, he goes into the water and, oh, and it is Jesus. This is the one whom I denied three times, not many days earlier. And I, I cursed and I swore. And, and, and it was, gee, I, he must have been embarrassed and wondered what was going to happen and shamefaced. You, you can sort of see it all sort of developing as the story unfolds. And Jesus begins to talk with them. Actually, he's shortly going to leave the eleven, isn't he? And he's going to ascend back to his father. He, 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 he asks some questions. He doesn't ask them to sign a creed, but he's going to ascertain their love, and especially Peter's love for the Lord Jesus. He, he gives Peter time to settle down. They, as it were, dine for a little while. And now Jesus is going to chat with him. If you remember, it was by uh, the coals of fire that Peter had denied Jesus. And, and now, by the lakeside, these days later, there are coals of fire. And, and you remember that Peter had denied Jesus three times, and three times now, Jesus um, is going to ask Peter whether he loves him. He doesn't parade Peter's denial, or his sin, if you want, in front of the others. They, they just move aside privately to talk about things and he wants to restore him. He wants to restore him to public service. Because if I understand the, correct, the story correctly, Peter is privately restored already. That's why he jumps out of the boat and he wants to quickly get to Jesus. But, but there needs to be a sort of restoration for public service. I, maybe just as a teenager, the first time I ever read the book of Jeremiah, which is a wonderful, wonderful book, and you saw yesterday, I love the character of Jeremiah. But um, early on in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 3, Jeremiah preaching to the people all those centuries before the time of Christ, urged the people to acknowledge their sin and turn from it that they might have forgiveness. 
It's almost an equation. Acknowledge, turn, equals forgiveness. And the Lord Jesus is giving to Peter this opportunity to acknowledge, yes, to him, his own sin, Peter's sin, and then to turn from it and receive forgiveness. Peter had failed, hadn't he? He failed because he was filled with self-confidence. Do you remember he said to Jesus, oh, let everybody else deny you, but there's no way I'm going to deny you. And, and then when he could have been with the Lord Jesus, praying as Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he do? He fell asleep. Just on the side, I have to tell you, sometimes when I'm praying, I fall asleep. I have this awful, awful moment that I'm regularly reminded about by my fellow evangelists that I was at a prayer meeting once and we as evangelists were praying and I fell asleep in the prayer meeting. That was really bad. It was particularly bad because I was praying out loud when I fell asleep. (laughs) It was something like, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for... (laughs) And they all burst out laughing. How embarrassing. So I sometimes find I have to walk or I have to stand or I have to pray out loud if I'm going to stay awake when I'm, I'm supposed to be praying. But, yep, Peter fell asleep. And then you remember, he, he sort of fought for Jesus, but in the energy of his own devices, in the energy of the flesh is how we'd put it in a, an antiquated sort of way. And he cut off the ear of the high priest servant. Do you remember that? That wasn't the way to do God's work at all. And then he followed the Lord Jesus Christ from afar. And then fatally, he made the closest friends. He he became familiar and friendly with the enemies of Christ. So eventually when they came, they said, oh, you were with him, weren't you? No, 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 no. And he cursed and he swore. But I love love the little phrase just describing the Lord Jesus as he's taken to crucifixion. It says he looked on Peter. You could preach on that, couldn't you? It wasn't a look of, I'll get my own back. Why did you let me down? I'm sure it was a look of love and compassion. Because in the Christian life, failure is not final. I'd love us to grasp that. Whatever our sins, and I say again, we don't expect it, we don't excite it, we don't excuse it, but whatever our sins, failure is not final. There is a a new beginning. There is a starting again. There was an old Bible translation. It's sort of gone out of fashion now, done by a very godly man, Dr. Weymouth, and it's Weymouth's translation. You sometimes find it in second-hand bookshops. And the way he translates the conversation that um, Jesus had with Peter, I find very helpful. This, This is how it comes out. Peter, do you love me? You're dear to me. Peter, do you love me? You are dear to me. Am I dear to you? You are dear to me. And there is a difference in the Greek word, apparently, that's being used. Interestingly, though, later on, when Peter writes his epistles, he doesn't use that word that we translated dear. He talks about loving the Lord Jesus. He's grown, he's matured, he's, he's developed in his love for Christ. And interesting that even though Peter's love for Jesus is flawed, Christ's commission to him remains the same. 
And so we read in the scriptures the great commission of Christ at the end of each of the Gospels. And sometimes we say, oh, I'm just not the person. To, do you know what I'm like? Do you know what I think? Do you, do you know how sometimes I behave? Am I fit to be able to go and tell others about Christ and live for Jesus? Yeah, even though our love for Christ may be flawed, as Christians, the commission stands. Three times Peter denied Christ. Three times he said, well, you are dear to me. He was asked about his love. And then Jesus commissions him, doesn't he, to to go and feed the sheep, feed the lambs, to be about the father's business. I don't know whether you know the, the name Chuck Colson. He was a big sort of name across the world in Christian circles some years ago, but he died perhaps three or four years ago now. He became famous because he was... Richard Nixon, the US president's hatchet man, and he was involved in all sorts of corruption and scandal. He was, he was a brilliant man, but he ruined himself. And he was imprisoned, and whilst in prison, he was wonderfully converted to Christ and became a sort of great ambassador, not only for Christian work in prisons, but for the gospel altogether. He wrote his autobiography called Born Again, which is a tough read, I think, but towards the end of the book, this is what he said. It was that night in the quiet of my room that I made the total surrender. Lord, if this is what it is all about, I said, then I thank you, Lord. I praise you for having me in prison, uh, for letting them take away my license to practice law. Yes, even for having my son be arrested. I praise you for giving me your love through these men, for being, for being God, for letting me walk with Jesus. And with these words, I came to the greatest joy of all, the final release, turning, turning it all over to God. Do you love me? Do you? Well, you are dear to me. You are dear to me. But he was surrendering. He was coming back to the Lord Jesus. Actually, Peter then goes off on a bit of a tangent because there is John, the, 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 the young, beloved disciple of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> Peter sort of just goes off on this tangent and says, oh, but what about him? What, what's going to happen? Tell me about John. And do you know what Jesus does? Basically, this is a paraphrase, but he says, Peter, mind your own business. How John lives, what he does how he dies, that is my business, Peter. You mind your own business. So what do you do if you feel, I've messed up. I've not been the, the guy, the girl I should be. I, I don't know. I just seem to get it wrong. I, I come to a weekend like this and we have a blessed weekend. But the next day, I don't know. I just don't seem to live as I should. And I say things I should. I deny the Lord. What do you do? You go back to basics. And if I can give an outline of John 21, I think these are the basics. As Christians, we catch fish, we feed sheep, and we mind our own business. Catch fish, feed sheep, and mind your own business. 
In other words, we've, we've come to that moment in our lives where we've asked Jesus Christ to become our Lord and our Savior. He died for me. He loved me. He rose from the dead. He can reconcile me to God. I can be His not only for life, but through death and into eternity. He is my Lord. And I, I've asked Him, trusted Him like that. Well then, catch fish. Catch fish. Share the gospel. Speak to others. I, I was very challenged yesterday because I think most of you know that I try to talk to people about the Lord as often as I can. But yesterday I was just at the, the sort of reception area and the Royal Mail guy came in and he'd got a, a, a package for the, the folk here at Kevin Lee to be signed for. There was nobody there. And I said, oh, I'll sign it for you if you want. I signed it and we, we talked to, uh, uh, for a moment to do And then Steve Fry, where's Steve? Long, tall, overgrown Steve down here. And uh, Steve, I, he was there. But he wasn't content just to, as it were, let me sign that. He started to talk to the Royal Mail delivery man. And I I ran to get one of these Beach Mission historical leaflets to give to him, which I did. But but Steve went much further. He gave it. And then he said, I've forgotten exactly your words, but do you have a Christian faith? And it developed into a lovely conversation. I'd sort of gone off duty with fishing. Steve hadn't. I I love biographies of Victorian Christians and I read earlier this year the biography of a man called R.C. Morgan. You've probably never heard of him, but he was was a journalist. He was an editor of a Christian newspaper in the Victorian era called The Christian. And some of you have heard of the book publisher um, Marshall Morgan and Scott. Well, that was him. It's a great, great book, but oh, wow. Very early on, this story. He's a Christian. He's married. They have three sons. One died in infancy, so that left two. One of the ones is the one who wrote the biography of of his father. But what about the the other? Sixteen years of age, he went swimming in a river in London. It wasn't the Thames, I've forgotten the name of it now, but he went swimming. But some mischievous lads had removed the sign which said, dangerous currents do not swim. So he put his clothes by the the riverside and he went swimming, but he got into trouble. And he called out for help. He put out his hand like this. But those guys who'd removed the the sign just kicked the hand. And he drowned. The message got to the father who was in his editorial office somewhere in London. I suppose in those days it was probably a horse and carriage or something like this. But he made his way quickly to the scene where apparently his son had drowned. A crowd had gathered and they were trying to dredge the water to find the body of his son. And the father was watching on and sure enough, Can you imagine this? They pull up the body of his son and they put it there on the sand by the river. And R.C. Morgan, seeing the crowd watching, this is what happened. He stood with his son's body there and he said to this crowd, this is is my son. I'm absolutely heartbroken. But I want you to know, my son was a Christian. And he will now be in heaven because he trusted Jesus to forgive him. He, he's with the Lord. And he began to preach the gospel. Well, the, the book, that, the biography of R.C. Morgan is interesting, but it's got loads of footnotes. And next to this was a little footnote. And I like to read the footnotes. And there it was. The biographer, R.C. Morgan's remaining son, said, 20 years later, 
I was in a shop, a hosiery shop, and he said, I was buying some things and I felt I should talk to the, the guy behind the counter about the Lord Jesus. And the man said, oh, I am a Christian. But he said, I wanted to make sure. So I said to him, oh, right, when did you become a Christian? 20 years ago, he said, I was in a crowd and we watched the body of a boy being brought up, drowned in the river. And do you know, the father stood right next to the, his son's body and he preached the gospel. And that very day, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Wow, what a story. It thrilled my heart. But catch fish. Catch fish. Do you remember Peter and the others were called to leave catching literal sea-bound fish to get men and women and boys and girls and introduce them to the Lord Jesus. I do not know a greater work on earth than to go into every new day to speak to those we come across about the Lord Jesus. That God loves you. Jesus died for you. You can find forgiveness and new life. And then catch fish, feed sheep. We, we love chattering about this, that and the other and so much of our conversation is just inconsequential chatter. It is for me. I love to joke. I love to tease. I love to have my fun. And, but the blessing it can be just to talk about the Lord. When you meet with other Christians, don't just talk about the weather or Brexit or whatever it is. Talk about the Lord. Do you know I read this this morning? Do you know I was meditating on this earlier on the week? Do you know I heard a sermon on the radio that said, whatever it is, minister to one another. Here is the Lord saying to Peter, you love me? Well, feed my sheep. Be a blessing. Go through the world and make much of the Lord Jesus. And then, mind your own business. It's too easy to sort of just get embroiled in the politics of church life or young life or UBM. And yeah, we need to have strategies and think things through. But Roger Carswell, I need, I need just to mind my own business, walk closely, humbly with my God, spend much time with him. Do you know if we were to go out into this coming year, year as far as UBM is concerned and say, with the Lord's help, day by day, I want to catch fish, feed sheep, and yet just mind my own business. Who knows what blessing we might be? And if we get to the end of each day and we just check ourselves and say, now, to whom did I speak today? And to which Christian was I able to minister today? And did I spend time and energy, emotional energy, in talking about things that really are none of my business? I wonder what impact we would make in the world which we live in, in the generation that we are called to reach. Trevor Knight emailed me earlier this week, and uh, Trevor knows I, I deeply appreciate his ministry, and I... I heard sermons of Trevor's 30, 40, 50 years ago, probably, yeah, 50 odd years ago, and they still indelibly have been written in my mind. But he said, he said, Roger, the whole idea of Peter being restored, he said, let me share this little poem. I'll read it to you because uh, it nicely sort of brings together this idea of coming back to the Lord, saying Christian life is a new beginning. Well, this is it. For each who have travelled down the road of sorrow, misfortune and sin, there's a wonderful place of encouraging hope 
called the land of beginning again. Called the land of beginning again. There's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open and we may go in. At Calvary's cross is where we begin when we come as sinners afresh to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we have had a wonderful weekend with rich, rich ministry. And it's fed our souls and it's blessed our hearts and it's warmed us and infused us. And we look back on a summer of beach missions and we thank you for all that's been accomplished. And we look around and so many of the folk along the rows and in front behind are our dearest friends here on earth. They mean so much to us. Lord, we thank you for all these things. But we thank you that when the Lord Jesus Christ died, he carried our sin, my sin. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And we thank you that Jesus not only died but rose. We serve a risen, living Saviour. So, Father, we want to come at the end of our weekend. Yes, we're going to pray for travelling mercies. We, 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 we want to go forward into this new week and year enthused. But, Lord, can we just begin again? Forgive all that is past. Fill us anew with your Holy Spirit. And then, Lord, enable us to go out into this week, this year, this world, to catch fish, feed sheep, and mind our own business for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.